becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger rather than a dream that you to make real. Passing note of a song, glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. We are. Kind of feels nice. Kind of feels peaceful. Homey. I feel good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, let's see how this goes. To the shores. To the shores. So 2024. We are. Here we are. First episode. I know. We've got some changes going on around the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're back in Matt's studio. Yeah. Sans video. The last year we have been using a, uh, podcast studio that we were sharing with a couple of other, other people. And you've probably seen some of the clips on Instagram, YouTube. And if you listen on Spotify, you can actually watch video while we talk. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Very professional lighting, curtains, background, all of that. <laughs> and uh, we have decided to move away from that mm-hmm. for the next little season of The Shores. Yeah. So we're back in my home studio. We don't, as of yet, have video yeah. here. We might change that. We might not. I don't know. I think we're going to talk a little bit about why we're making this change. Yeah, I'm, uh, thinking you, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think mainly just, uh, uh, yeah, I think this is going to work good for now. Yeah. There's a few things, Like we're not getting episodes out just because it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. So I did want to say that. Um, so as we record right now, this is episode 179, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, the last one that is published right now is 166. So there's 12, did I do that math right? (laughs) Yeah. 12 uh, episodes that we have not published yet. And Mm -hmm. part of the reason for that is that editing and producing and publishing these video episodes is a, is a bit more work. And the last year was pretty rough (laughs) and we realized that we were kind of under a mountain of work that needed to be done so that we can keep doing this thing we love doing. And it can, it became clear to both of us that one, the, the finances weren't working out to stay in the studio. Uh, two, we had to be honest about the fact that neither of us had the bandwidth to keep up with getting those episodes out. Mm. And that's a hard truth yeah. because <laughs> totally. we really liked doing it there. And yeah. I, I, the, the burden of the editing was falling on me and that not, that's not yeah, totally. to, <laughs> to dog you at all. And I was glad to do it. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, but I just got to where I didn't have the time mm-hmm. to get it done. And, uh, we're not at a space yet where, or a, a place where we can bring help on to do that. So we decided that it's time to go back to basics for a little bit. Yeah. We had a conversation. The, the, the primary question was how do we keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Cause we love doing it. And our uh, business counselor uh, walked us through mm. our feelings and our wants and desires. And she our, adeptly uh, helped us. <laughs> our business counselor being your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, I think it's worth kind of digging into this because I think it's, it's fairly common in our lives that we have to 
make changes that we don't want to make mm. so that we can continue doing things that we, that are valuable to us. Mm. And that's always really hard because we imagine, you know, oh, we do this podcast. We really like doing this podcast and we have these grand visions of things that we'd like it to turn into. And I think we were both really excited to have, have it turn into a video podcast, have content that we can put out on all kinds of different platforms. And, and so that quick, you quickly incorporate that into your idea of what this thing is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you have to realize that it becoming more what you wanted it to be is actually killing the thing mm. because yeah, we've got this cool space and high production value and video and, and clips and all of this, which we really want. But at the same time, we're not putting anything out mm-hmm. even though we're still recording every week. So <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> it's either we quit altogether mm-hmm. or we just continue to bury ourselves under the the onslaught of material that we can never get to and that mountain eventually becomes such that it's not climbable mm-hmm. and so i think that the better decision is to say well how do we scale this back down to something which is manageable and hope that we get another chance to grow it back to where we want it to be um yeah i I'm glad that we made that decision. It kind of stings a little bit. It's yeah. a bummer to be close to what you want and mm-hmm. then to have to give it up. Yeah, definitely. It was def- it was a lot of fun to to film at the studio and uh, to have that content. But the kind of what we talked about and came to is <clears throat> is more about doing doing this every week than it was about maybe having that right part of the vision fulfilled at that moment. You know, right. So. <clears throat> And that's a hard thing to do to answer, mm-hmm. honestly, to say, like, what is it that you want to keep here? Mm-hmm. Can't keep everything. So something's got to move. Something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And I think it was good for us to be honest with that answer and say, well, what we really want is just to keep doing it mm-hmm. in whatever capacity that is. And uh, I was reminded this week, there's a really great uh, keynote speech that Bruce Springsteen gave at South by Southwest in... Mm-hmm. I don't know what year, 2013, 2014, he's talking about making things and he has this great line. I won't be able to get it word for word, but he says something like when you're making something, there is no right way to do it. There is only doing it. Mm. And he's talking about creating art. Obviously, if you're building a bridge, there's a right way to do it and (laughs) flying a plane, there's a right way to do it. But when you're making art, if you're, if you want to be a photographer, there isn't a right camera. There's just you and a camera Mm. and taking the picture. If you want to write a song, there isn't, you know, or record a song, there isn't the right recording gear. There's the recording gear that you have. And then there's doing it. Mm. And so much, so many great things have been done without all of the fancy, nice, amazing stuff that we all think we want. You just got to pick up the tools that you have and do the thing that you want to do. And so I think that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're, we're, we're giving up the idea of right as it is defined in our own minds and saying, well, no, doing it is the priority. So we're going to keep doing it, making some adjustments. We're back in my home studio, which feels pretty kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you might notice a difference in the audio quality. It actually might be higher because yeah. we're using uh, a bit nicer mics here. Mm-hmm. And 
The room sounds a little spacier, <laughs> more spacious. And Luca's in the background. Yeah, and my dog's here. That always makes me feel more comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're moving forward. So cheers to that. Yeah, that's cool. I like this. <laughs> I did want to say, I think our plan is that, so those 12 episodes that we haven't quite I haven't quite got around to uh, <laughs> editing. I just we, watch Matt do things. We are going to put, we are going to put those out, uh, but we're going to go ahead and put this one out uh, like tonight. Mm-hmm. So it will go from episode 166 to 179. And then we're going to keep recording every week. It'll be probably audio only for a while, but then we're going to, as we get to those 12 episodes, we're going to be putting those out and you'll see those kind of out of sequence in the feed. And we'll be putting uh, clips from the videos of those up on our Instagram and YouTube. So go follow us. There's some good content in those 12 episodes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to putting them out. A couple good interviews too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it covers like three, four, three or four months or something like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> a pretty big time frame. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a wild year, 2024. So maybe it'll be nice to have some, like, content from the archives to listen to. It's so, not about, like, <laughs> the insane uh, state of the current world. <laughs> That's the truth. I see, like, so many, so many insane. Like, there's a thing in Ecuador that happened yesterday and uh, stuff in the Red Sea that's kind of going on. Bitcoin ETF today, which is really cool. What was in the Red Sea? Uh, there's uh, the... Uh, I think the rebels in Yemen were firing. He's really going for it. <laughs> he got a haircut the, today. Firing at some ships in the uh, in the Red Sea, like pretty intensely. And hmm. uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'm always kind of I'm always kind of skeptical sometimes whenever there's so much bad news, like because I feel like there's just bad news all the time, every day. Yeah, and just cho- choosing what you want to look at, or what you want to focus on. <laughs> hmm. uh, I mean, most of my day last this last three days have been on focused on the Bitcoin ETF. I feel like that's such a such a big deal, and um, I'm kind of excited about about this happening and institutional institutions coming in <clears throat> to be able to invest through the uh, ETF. So, so I want to know what you think about that. Like, what 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 are you excited about the ETF? And then I want to go back to what you just said about like choosing what to focus on. Mm. Well, I mean, there's some, there's some negativities to it too. It should bring some, some price stability to, uh, Bitcoin in the long run. <clears throat> and, uh, just was listening to pomp talk about this with, uh, his guest and, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. So like a lot of these bigger firms that are coming in, they're only going to allocate like 1% or 5% of their, uh, of their investment into Bitcoin. Mm. And so if that investment goes over that 5%, then they will, um, then they will sell it. And if, uh, if the, if it goes below that 5%, they'll buy some more. So there's a, there's kind of a built in mechanism to kind of keep those, those bigger, Mm. uh, firms into that investment allocation. So that's kind of a good thing. And also kind of like, we kind of like the volatility of Bitcoin because it's just like, it just keeps going up. (laughs) Yeah. So that's going to create uh, an increase in the number of transactions on the Bitcoin network. Is that mm-hmm. right? Which is, which will be good for the price of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the whole thing of too, is like this uh, becoming more scarce and the liquidity, I mean the, um, the amount of Bitcoin uh, available will also kind of be sucked off the market and right. will 
put pressure on the price to go up over a period of time. And, and there's the Bitcoin halving this Bitcoin year. Bitcoin halving this in year. In April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all really exciting, which basically just means that there's less Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is inflationary, but it's it's at a very, very low rate. And instead of, um, it's I think it's like 1.98% inflation right now on the Bitcoin, but it actually goes because to Because of the new, the new coins that are created from the miners mm-hmm. okay. that get introduced into the system. Right. But that goes to zero once there's no more mm-hmm. Bitcoin to mine. Yeah. And so for example, like for every block mine right now, it's like six point something, uh, Bitcoins per block. Mine. I think it's 6.5 and it goes down to 3.25 in 3. April. 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's exciting. I think there's, I think there's people who are starting to see a, a really good use for it. Mm-hmm. And also there's just, there's so many things that I'm learning about that I'm excited to, see that kind of come to flourish over the next three to five years. And, and again, when I look at Bitcoin, I'm really just looking at it at a three to five year model in the short term, it's going to be very volatile and, and kind of all over the place. But, uh, the use cases, uh, it seems are, are very, uh, very viable and becoming more viable. What were you saying earlier about the price of houses? Oh yeah. That's super fascinating. So like if you bought a house in 2015 for say like a hundred thousand dollars and you were going to buy that same house today in 2023, that same house would cost you $500,000. But, uh, I, I won't get the exact number of Bitcoin for this, but in 2015, you would have probably paid, uh, let's just say this price is at $10,000. So you would like pay 10 Bitcoin. 10 Bitcoin. Yeah. But now if you were to have, have bought that house, it would be down to like, um, seven Bitcoin or something like that. Less than that. Right? Yeah. Less than because that. Yeah. Bitcoin's at 45, 45 right now. So it's like 2.1 or something Bitcoin. Um, uh, as if it's 500,000. Oh, be, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so it's just it goes let it's actually yeah. deflationary. So if you denominate the transaction in Bitcoin, that house has gotten cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is such a weird way to look at look yeah. at things. If I would have put my money back in uh, 2015 into Bitcoin, it's like I could have bought more more of a house today than I could if I just kept it in dollar amounts. Yeah, and generally you tend to think about things like that as well. The value of Bitcoin has gone up. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason not to think about it in terms of relative to Bitcoin, the value of everything else has gone down. Mm-hmm. So everything's deflationary. Everything's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So it's, a, it's such a new world to kind of like work your head around. I think, right. I, think it, I think it won't become very mainstream for many, many years from now. But something I'm kind of experimenting with is that, um, you know, I'm, uh, we're both in our forties and we have families and children and houses and, you know, jobs and all this stuff. And along with that comes a, you know, fairly significant number of pretty large payments that we have to make, whether that's mortgage or rent, car payments, things like this. And that means that I generally have to have quite a bit of cash in my bank account on any, at any given moment in a, in a month, you know, not a ton, but you know, let's say $5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure that those bills can get paid. Um, and choose the number 5,000 arbitrarily. It's yeah. just, it's, it's a not, it's, it's a non-trivial amount. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, well, what, rather than just having that cash sitting in my bank account, what if I put it in Bitcoin and then when I needed to make a payment, I sell the Bitcoin for the amount of dollars that I need to make that payment and I go make it. Mm. And 
obviously that's there's some risk involved there because Bitcoin is volatile, but I think we're moving into a year or probably a two year period in which it will mostly be going up in value, mm. which means that if I think about it in the terms you just used to describe the value of a home, my payments are going down. Hmm. So if I need to make a payment that's $1,000, and let's say I have that money on January 1st, and I need to make the payment on January 30th, mm-hmm. or February 1st, let's say a month later, um, if I put that money into Bitcoin, and then on February 1st sell the Bitcoin and go pay the bill for $1,000, if the price has gone up, the price of Bitcoin has gone up relative to dollars, that means that my I have money left over. Mm-hmm. I paid my $1,000 bill and I have money left over. Yeah, that's. I think the one tricky thing there is it's capital gains, taxes and stuff like mm-hmm. that, which is kind of makes it a little bit weird, but um, but in a, in a, in a, in a world without capital gains tax, that, that actually would work really great, <laughs> which is probably like 24%, I think is maybe 30% cause it's short term. Mm. Well, that's a, that puts a damper on it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the cool thing is, is you're kind of going through an exercise of like, Oh cool. Like this is actually a money that's powerful for the people and that it's not that you have control over and the government can't inflate away your money that, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, four years ago, 2020 versus today, your dollar is now, um, uh, it takes you a dollar 20 to basically purchase a dollar's worth of stuff from, uh, right. From 2020. Well, and so that's an interesting, that's interesting. So you could say that the, items are getting more expensive, mm-hmm. but that isn't really true. It's just that your money has become less valuable. Yeah. Yeah. The increased supply, there's more, uh, there's more money, f- uh, chasing after fewer goods. And so that causes prices to go up. Right. Which is, uh, which for me, this is, I mean, this is all brand new stuff for me. And I'm 46 years old and I right. kind of have heard these things and understood these things to a very small degree, but I feel like now I'm starting to experience them in a real way mm-hmm. and understand them. Uh, you know, cause that's the thing you right now you're hearing like, well, inflation is, is going down. It's like, well, it's, it might be going down right now, but it doesn't take an account of how much it's gone up over the last, you know, so it might've like over like a uh, 2020 period to, to today, like you, it's a dollar. But isn't that also like really deceiving when you say inflation is going down? Mm-hmm. All you're saying is that it's going up more slowly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't account for the dollar twenty that you already mm-hmm. need for the dollar purchase. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So next year, like it's- if it went, if inflation went up ten percent every month mm-hmm. for six months, and then went up four percent for one month. Yeah. It's very deceptive. It still went up all of those percentages <laughs> before you got to the smaller increase. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm really loving it. It's really making me think about, you know, my future, my wife, my kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what kind of world do I want them to live in? Cause I feel so much pressure right now with, um, the cost of goods and what it, what it costs me to run a coffee shop. It just, you know, where for me to have an espresso machine fixed or, or a fridge fix, you know, it's like, I'm looking at it. Things costing me a hundred to two hundred dollars more to mm-hmm. fix that. Like I was just looking at my 
Um, I'm just gonna use some arbitrary numbers, but this is, this is kind of about where it is. It's like my, uh, my building maintenance and equipment maintenance for this year, 2023 was like $84,000 and 2022 is $50,000. That's a big difference. Yeah. In 2019, it was $24,000. Hmm. And again, it, it could be different things are breaking at different times. And as right. you know, there's a lot of variables in there, but that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you're talking about coffee, where margins aren't that huge to have, you know, a few <laughs> right. tens of thousands of dollars. Divided. I mean, that's just one area. We're not even talking about like cost of goods and stuff that we've had to like encounter and, and rents going up. And, right. you know, it's like, it's, it's really, I, I'm just, it just makes me less, makes me more skeptical of our, of our fiat in general. Mm-hmm. So and I want to be able to understand that and figure that out a little bit better because it, it's, it's something that's really powerful, you know? Yeah. I think, I think largely we are incentivized not to pay attention to how all of that works. Mm. And to the extent, I mean, I don't understand now, but mm-hmm. you know, you and I've kind of been curious about this for a few years now yeah. and the things like once you kind of start seeing a couple things, it, it starts to get like almost unbelievable. Yeah. Like my understanding is that if I go to a bank and I say, I'd like to take out a mortgage to buy a house, it isn't as though the bank has that $500,000 and then they give it to me and I go buy the house. Mm-hmm. They just invent the money mm-hmm. <laughs> and and give it to me and I go buy the house and then I pay them for a 30 year mortgage. You end up paying for the house like three times over. So yeah. for a $500,000 house, I'm going to pay the bank a million dollars. So all the bank did was get a million dollars from me mm-hmm. and the value of money went down in the process. Yeah. It was a pretty crazy system. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Let's move away from that because yeah. neither of us exactly know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, just to kind of end in this area is like you're, you're listening to us talk about something that Matt and I are really trying to understand. And I've come to the point where I feel like I understand it enough for me to move and make decisions in this area, but not enough to like, I wouldn't recommend anything I'm doing or saying. And I probably yeah. couldn't be as eloquent as I should in these areas, but. Um, it's really, a, it's a really great rabbit hole to, to go down. There's a lot of great books to, to, um, to read on this. Like Lynn Alden's, uh, broken money is a really great one. She covers like the origin of money and, and, uh, uh, you know, you know, she covers it in a way that like most of us lay, lay persons can understand. Um, uh, uh, yeah, there's a, the Austrian economics. A lot of those. There's like a Austrian economics 101. That's really good. Mm. Um, there's also one I'm reading right now that I've kind of forgotten. Oh, the hidden cost of money, which is super fascinating. He looks at like climate and uh, banking and family units and how mm. that's impacted uh, money and stuff like that and the impact of those things on money. Uh, that was, that's been also really. I thought it was just going to be a regurgitation of Lynn Alden's book, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh. No, this is like completely different. <laughs> it's wow. actually impressive. What's that one called? The Hidden Cost of Money. Cool. Yeah. And, they, and the good thing about Lynn Alden's and this guy's, the Hidden Cost of Money guy, uh, they, they're, they're, they've been published recently. So a lot of it covers what happened during COVID. So mm-hmm. that's really informative. Yeah, that's cool. 
So transition. Transition. <laughs> and scene. And scene. Um, well, you made a comment at the beginning that I just think would be a good topic to mm. attack, uh, given that it is the beginning of a new year. Mm. And it's the beginning of a very interesting year. You made the, the comment, what is it that you want to focus on? Mm. And it isn't as though that that topic is exactly new to us or to this podcast, yeah. but um, I ha I feel pretty strongly that our attention is going to be fought very hard for in the coming year. Hmm. I think that that was a trend that started around COVID. Um, and we all live in bubbles to an extent that we can't fully understand. And you can kind of tell, and I, it, it's interesting because I think you can tell when you see somebody that you generally know and love and respect and they say something that is basically nonsensical to you to your understanding of the world. And that could be about COVID or it could be about politics or it could be about current events or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've had this experience a couple of times and I just thought, what, what are you reading that I'm not reading? What am I reading that you're not reading? Like it's clear that we have totally different sources of information. Mm -hmm. And I think evolutionarily, when you encounter somebody that's completely disconnected from you like that, it's almost like encountering somebody who is insane mm. on the street. You don't understand them. And your, your instinct is to kind of get away from them. You know, if you living in a community and then somebody comes in who doesn't understand any of the social norms, doesn't understand any of the, um, you know, ways to behave, doesn't know anybody, they're acting very strangely. You're, natural reaction to that is to sort of be like very timid, probably keep some distance between you and that person. Well, it's a fight, flight or freeze kind of mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think we are having that sort of visceral reaction to people assuming we share a same informational landscape. Mm. When you're on the street in your community, you are sharing the same informational landscape. And as far as all, all of the inputs and information is all available to all of you because it's all right there in the real world. Mm -hmm. But we're living so much online lives that you, you have no idea the pipeline of information that's going into the head of the person next to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can see some overlaps. Like if you, so you and I send each other things a lot, like posts, Instagram memes, things, whatever, you know? Um, and it's interesting because sometimes like you'll send me a bunch of stuff that I've never seen. Mm. And that there's also times where like uncannily, it'll be like, you send me a Instagram reel and I literally had just watched it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you can tell the algorithm has us overlapped to some extent. Yeah. Um, so all that to say, there's a lot of really important things happening in the world right now, obviously. We have what at least two hot war wars in the world mm -hmm. right now. We have a semi third with a Red Sea kind of thing kind mm -hmm. of happening right now. Yeah, which I'm not up to to speed on that. Mm -hmm. We've got this presidential election, which is going to be <laughs> crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, depending <laughs> on how you want to look at it. I don't know if entertaining will be the right word. <laughs> I don't think so. Either. I mean, it got so nuts in the last one. Mm -hmm. And then with all the insurrection stuff as a response to that, like I, I don't see any way that this doesn't go in some kind of scary direction. Hmm. And, I, and all of this to, to me means the demand for your attention 
to control what you see and don't see is going to be high. Mm. And I don't mean that there's literally somebody trying to engineer what you see and don't see. It's, it's like an emergent, unavoidable property of the information age. Mm. There is so much to see and so much to look at that you have to have some kind of curation mechanism, some kind of filtering mechanism. Mm. Otherwise it would be worthless. Yeah. So that's the world we live in. And so there's not much you can do about that. So back to the question that you posed earlier. So given all of that, if you just sort of lay back and scroll through the algorithms, whether it's on, you think of that as Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or um, even legacy news, uh, you don't know what you're going to be getting. Yeah. So I think we kind of have to be active participants and ask ourselves questions like, okay, what do I want to focus on this year? Do I just want to be a passive recipient of all the madness that's surely coming my way? Or are there some things that I'd like to focus on regardless of what all that madness is presenting me? Mm. And I sure as hell hope that the answer to that question is yes. Maybe the harder question is of what are those things? So you're saying, I kind of feel like you're saying, you know, am, am I going to choose to be a victim and whether willingly or unwillingly to the world around me, or am I wanting to take responsibility and choose what I'm going to focus on mm. and spend time and effort yeah. in, in going after that, you know, cause I think there is a part that, you know, once you get into a stream, <clears throat> a lot of people will just kind of let go and just fall victim un unwittingly to whatever stream they have to be in or bubble or whatever you want to call it. And if you're in a good stream, then that's great. You know, that's, you get the benefits of that, but right. you know, you, you sometimes, sometimes you need to check what stream you're in, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, is this good? Is this healthy? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's some really, there's some really Who's good it? ways to, to check that. You know, Carl Jung said, we all act out a myth mm -hmm. and you should know what your myth is mm -hmm. because it might be a tragedy. Yeah. And, you don't want it to be a tragedy. No. <laughs> no. So if you know what it is, then maybe you could do something about it. Well, I think there's, there's some good ways of, to look at it too, that you can just see just physically, you know, as far as like, is this, is this, is this line of thinking healthy for you? Mm -hmm. Are you becoming irrationally un, unwittingly like angry and frustrated and, uh, uh, anxious about the world around you mm -hmm. and there, there's healthy anxious there's healthy stress and anxiety you know as far as like being concerned about something but once it kind of starts to move into like that sort of unhealthy part i think that's the hard that's sometimes a hard thing to see because it's it's good to be um you know sort of righteously um angry at a lot of the things that happen in this world but mm -hmm. that can just quickly like shift over into a sort of overly righteous, self-righteous. Um, and you start to miss the, the, the gray areas of, of what you're kind of taking in, you know, mm -hmm. you can become almost a pawn in a, in some sort of cult kind of cult of ideas, you know? Yeah. But, but I don't know. So I guess that's the question too, is like, well, how do you choose what to focus on and, and, to keep yourself from the, the cult of ideas or the, the, or becoming a part of a cult of ideas. Right. 
Well, your question about paying attention to where you're unhealthy, hmm. I kind of got hung up on that a little bit because I thought when you're healthy, you don't really know it. Hmm. And I think... Kind of even when you're unhealthy too. Well, but maybe you know it more when you're unhealthy than you do when you're healthy because hmm. there's... A, have, I'm sure that you know the experience of like, you're going along your day or whatever, and you're not thinking about your body. You're not thinking about your health at all. You're just doing what you need to do. Everything seems to be working. And then you feel like a twinge in your, some muscle, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, wait, did that hurt? Or was that just, you know, what was that? I don't know what that was. Hmm. It sort of comes like as this anomaly. It's like, am I about to experience like a catastrophic health event or hmm. am I getting sick or, you know, sometimes our bodies just kind of twinge, mm -hmm. you know, it could be nothing. So it's, it's, it's almost harder to know when you're healthy. If you're unhealthy, you know, it's like you get appendicitis. There isn't really any argument about whether or not something's wrong. Hmm. The question <clears throat> might be what is wrong and you might not know, Yeah, but it's like, it's very clear something's going on. Um, there are types of unhealth and this is maybe what you're talking about, which do go a little bit more unnoticed, but I don't actually think that's true. I think we have an easier time dismissing them out of fear. Hmm. So maybe one of the answers to how do you pay attention to when you're unhealthy is to pay attention to what you're afraid of. Well, let me kind of throw a little curveball in because there's a certain part where you start to acclimate to. So at, at some point you kind of feel this place where like, you know, you've gained some weight or something like that, or maybe mm -hmm. your breath isn't as good as it used to be. And then that becomes the new normal. It's an interesting <laughs> example. <laughs> so, your breath isn't as good as it used to be. Well, I can, only, I can, only, I can tell this and in whenever I'm doing my breathing exercises, if I don't do mm. them for a period of time, it's like, Oh, but it became my new normal where I had, I have, I have a, a deeper oh, you're not capacity. Talking, you're not talking about the smell of your breath. You're talking about your breathing ability. <laughs> I see. That too. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So I think just, there's a certain, you sort of normalize to whatever that is. It's the same right, thing when you're healthy right. is like, you know, you're like, Oh man, I feel so good. I, you know, and then you kind of normalize and that health benefit that was at the beginning is no longer kind of with you, even though you still, it's still present with you, but it's either present in a healthy way or present in an unhealthy way. But well, maybe that's normal. what I'm saying is like, you don't notice uh, normal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what you notice is abnormality mm. because there's, well, that's the stuff that you probably need to focus on. Yeah. The stuff that doesn't fit expectations and categories. It's like, that's where the threat might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you only expect that whenever it's, it's something that's more chronic, you know, I have a chronic something in my breathing's chronic. Like it's mm -hmm. I, I, I having a hard time breathing most of the time and, and, or you're tired all the time and it's like, mm -hmm. you just can't stop. And so it becomes something that's becomes a part of your life that, that, you know, you need to change, but you just don't, I think there's some, some of that part of what, you know, how we let other people affect us or the news or, mm -hmm. you know, like I need to go outside and take a walk and look at the stars and yeah. <laughs> the leaves. And <laughs> hmm. Well, so one thing that I want to focus on 
I just saw a way that this connected to what you were just saying, and now I kind of lost it. But it, there, there is a how do I want to say this? There is a a very lucrative, almost lustful idea that what is interesting and what has value is that which is new. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a world that's so dominated by news cycles, that's a part of it. So it's like, you know, when's the last time you heard anything about the Ukraine war? Oh, it's yeah, like, totally. you know, it's still going on, mm-hmm. you know, the, in principle, the issue is still the same, but we've moved on. That's not new anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the Israel Palestine conflict has already kind of gotten stale. So it's like everything has to kind of be a, about what's new. The same goes for art and fashion, mm. you know, and we've been moving this direction for a long time, but we're sort of obsessed with the new young musician, mm-hmm. the new young actor or actress, the new movie, the, the new this, the new that. And I think I, I, I understand why we're that way, mm-hmm. but there's so much value to be had in what has preceded us. And so one of the things I, I want to focus on is um, there's a couple of Fyodor Dostoevsky books that I've been mm. wanting to read that I think are important and relevant for what's going on in the world right now. And I've had them for a couple of years and I haven't read them. And that's one thing I'd like to focus on Yeah, is some wisdom from other places, mm. other times. So I think that would be a good thing for me to do to take my head out of the swirl in bombardment of the algorithms and the news cycles and pay attention to what somebody from 200 years ago had to say Hmm. about human nature and, and, and the nature of society as well and culture. Hmm. Obviously we didn't prepare this. I don't think I really have anything I want to focus on. No, I think in generally, like, I mean, for this next year, I'm, I'm just excited about putting a lot of the things I've learned into practice. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I were talking about this at dinner tonight. And I, I see some parts of me that have kind of died that I don't really like, <clears throat> that I kind of want to revive. And I think part of it is they died in a good way. Like, uh, just, that's how Matt is like, like, like the, I don't know how to say this, it sounded really cheesy, but the idea of like loving and serving people and wanting the best for people. I feel like that's something that I've, I've, I've always really, I've always wanted in a sense. And I think you pointed it out to me and like, there's a part of it. I think I, uh, up until, uh, maybe it was just like COVID or whatever. There was a, there was a certain naivety that was involved with that. That I think COVID really challenged and I think I negatively reacted to that challenge. And over the last three or four years, I feel like it's, I've gotten gained more perspective on that. And that, you know, something that I expect I experienced was, you know, you know, people thinking the worst of you whenever, you know, that was not your intention <clears throat> at all. Hmm. And, you know, not that you're, not that you're perfect or doing it the thing right, but and you kind of go into this place of protectiveness 
And I think there's a, there's a healthiness that you need to be aware of the world. And it is a dangerous place out there, whether you're talking about, you know, even in helping people, you need to be aware of like, you might think you're helping people, but you might be actually harming them. You know, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about, uh, you know, harm, uh, you know, charity, you know, charity is great, but too much charity can also ruin somebody and, and create dependency. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so you're always having to kind of grow up and mature. And like, what does, what does that mean to sort of love and serve people and want the best for them? And so th- I think that's something I want to explore again in a new way after having maybe learned some lessons and, the ways I was going about that beforehand in a very naive way. And maybe also just some of my, the negative aspects of sort of being less open to that proposition. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm kind of stumbling around a little bit here, but. Oh, I think there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. I think in part, what you're saying is you want to, pay closer attention to who it is you want to be and whether or not you actually are that person in Mm. reality. Um, There was something else you said that made me think about the times of of COVID. It it did seem like, especially in 2020 and 2021, and then the veil lifted a little bit, but for those two years or maybe a year and a half, the focus was because you said uh, people th- thought the worst of you. Mm-hmm. And that actually seemed to be all of the focus everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was very little praise. Or benefit of the doubt or something like that. For anybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, this, this, is, this person's a really is doing some really good things mm-hmm. in the midst of this pandemic. There was none of that. Yeah. Anybody that you could meet, even potentially point to and say, yeah, we think this person's doing good. It was like it was a person essentially just telling everyone else how bad they were. Mm. I mean, everything was negatively oriented. And I think part of what you're saying is like, yeah, let's take that for granted. That's a given. Mm. Um, Can I transcend that and say, despite that, I see good. Mm. I see good in you. I see good in me. And I'm willing to call that out. I'm willing to name that. I'm willing to, hopefully nourish it. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That seems like a good thing to focus yeah. on. I think so. It's kind of infant stages right now. Cause I, I don't know. I kind of want to, I'm a fairly optimistic person in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want something. <laughs> Yeah. I don't actually know that it's that you're an optimistic person. I think you, you lack a certain amount of circuitry for (laughs) negative emotion. (laughs) Maybe so. And I don't know if I envy you or pity you for it. You know, that's, that's, that's a good question. I've, I've actually, uh, examined myself in that way. Mm -hmm. Like I use you and Allison as my examples. I'll be like, cause Allison feels things very deeply and passionately. And I'm like, can we find some of that in me? I'm like, hello. <laughs> Anybody there? <laughs> Anybody there? <laughs> okay. The lights aren't on. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, 
you are a bit like Alex Honnold in that respect, <laughs> you know, like Alex. Well, but with, it's not exactly with fear though. Mm-hmm. Like we, he doesn't have fear, at least not in any way that's intelligible or recognizable to the, mm-hmm. the most of us. Yeah. Um, and you tend to have this, like, I think it's, I don't, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a mistake to call it a lack of emotional intelligence um, which is bullshit anyways, because I don't think emotional intelligence is an actual comprehensible word. But, mm-hmm. um, and I also don't think it's something like your, like stoicism. It isn't that you're stoic. And it, it, it also isn't exactly that you're optimistic. And it also isn't exactly that you don't, uh, that you just sort of experience things differently than maybe your run of the mill, more average person like myself or your wife. Mm-hmm. You're, you're running a different program, like a different <laughs> software program, and things are going through different circuits that doesn't exactly make sense. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of... That's a low plane. It's the war no, star. it's a helicopter. <laughs> it's the war star. No, I think it's kind of awesome. Mm. Um, which is why I say I don't know whether to envy you or pity you, you know? like I think it's both, honestly. Yeah. And, and maybe that's the kind of the appropriate... If you love someone, maybe that is the appropriate way you should feel about them because they have things that you don't have and they see things that you can't see, Mm -hmm. but also you see things they can't see and you have things that they don't have. And so it's like a, some sort of benevolent, hopeful mix of envy and pity Hmm. that constitutes, I don't know, like a loving relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Am I way off there? No, no, I actually love this because it's something that, you know, just because I'm close to closest to you two and that it's like, part of me, I just really envy like the depth of your sadness with your dad, you know, and how you feel things. It's the same thing with Allison too. And a part of me is also like, Oh shit, man, I'm glad I don't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's just that it's this weird thing that, it's like you kind of are missing out on one, like one aspect of it too, but you also are experiencing a different aspect of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. where, like I just see Allison specifically, like where, because she feels things so deeply, like she has a tangible, like visceral experience and intimacy with the thing itself, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously and the negative side of that side is you can get carried away with it and it can overpower you and overcome you and you get caught up in it, you know? But it doesn't, it doesn't uh, negate the, the intimacy that you have with that experience, you know? And that's something I've always admired about her and also you, because I mean, you hear it in your music, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. I think that's really, there's something really beautiful about that. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's parts of that that I, I don't really, <laughs> I think I can kind of I experience it through people, but I don't really have that same, like, like I've even tried to like, really like, this sounds so stupid, but like, you know, just hearing you and you going through your dad's mourning and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I'm like, Oh, is, is there any of that in me? Like, I love mm-hmm. my dad. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I miss him. And it's like, it's like, I'm very thankful for the time he was here, you know? Yeah. So, so I'm also, I'm also kind of looking inside, like trying to find that mm-hmm. those, those places. You know? <laughs> and sometimes I'll be like, Oh, there it is. Look, Look, <laughs> feel it, feel it. <laughs> totally. It's so ridiculous. Well, it strikes me that there's an aspect to this whole conversation, which mm. it, it, 
it's tempting to sort of try to it's it's tempting to try to talk about it as though we are experiencing the same things differently. Mm, interesting. And because it's true enough mm-hmm. that you can talk about it that way. Yeah. But it also isn't the whole picture because we aren't experiencing the same things. Mm. Because I think I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, so like you know, both of our fathers passed mm-hmm. away in the last what two years, and mm-hmm. um, I think the differences in the way that you and I were affected by that totally are obvious mm-hmm. to you and I because mm-hmm. we spend a lot. We spend a lot of time together. <laughs> um, it might not be obvious to the people listening. Yeah, but, totally. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, well, you were very, you were probably a lot closer to your dad than I was. Well, maybe I don't know, mm-hmm. but that's my point. Is that it's like, and not that we want to simplify dad, it and talk about it like, mm-hmm. well, we both lost a father. That's the same thing, and so totally. the difference is in the way this, that we respond, and that's not true mm-hmm. because father is a it's not a discrete category mm-hmm. and just like friend isn't a discrete category. You know, yeah. you, I have lots of friends of, mm-hmm. of, of all kinds of different, um, <laughs> capacities and depths and, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, if it, you and I were talking, uh, on our way to dinner tonight about this hypothetical situation, like if you were so <laughs> mad at me that you didn't want your wife to talk to me mm-hmm. and how that would go. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know, I think if that were ever the case in our relationship, mm-hmm. I think I would immediately basically focus all of my attention in my life that I could spare to fix that. Mm. You know, whereas I have a lot of other people in my life that are friends where if that was the situation, I'd be like, I really want to address that, but I've got other, like, I've also got to like, I got to get the kids to school and I got to get this work done and I got to do X, Y, and Z and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it would be different. Mm-hmm. And, um, that isn't to say anything exactly about the value of your friendship versus someone else's friendship. It's just that it's different. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, you experienced a loss with your father of, of, um, well, I cannot understand your loss, mm. even though I've also lost a father. And I think it's the same in reverse. And I think to the extent that it is observable that we respond to that seemingly similar situation differently, perhaps at least part, if not all of, or most of what you're observing is a difference of what is lost. Hmm. And that's not a value proposition. It's just a, it's just relationships are different. Hmm. Well, just like people are different for every relationship is different. What's well, interesting? Cause it makes me think of like you and Andrew and Katie. And, uh, well, I'm just thinking like specifically you and Andrew, like as my brother and sister. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's like y'all experience this loss together, but it's also that, that experience is very different between the two of you, even though there's some, some similarities and overlap too, you know, which is, uh, which yeah, I think totally. is kind of cool because it does, it does. Well, he knew, you know, my brother is six years younger than me. Like he knew a different dad than I knew. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to overestimate the difference in who you are as a parent from one kid to a kid six years later. Totally. And then who, and you're a different person. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was 23 when I was born. He was almost 30 when my poor over, was he 23, 24, something like that, but different mm-hmm. decades of his young life. Like he was a very <laughs> different person. Uh-huh. 
So my brother lost a different person than I lost. That's so true. Like Elia, like our, my oldest and, and Hazel, my youngest, which is she's 10 and my oldest is 19. It's like, it's very obvious. Allison are different people now and we are raising her very different. Yeah. With some similar threads, but definitely different. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's almost like pointless to try to enumerate the ways in which things are different like that. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting to think that even with the same loss of my father, mm -hmm. my brother and I lost different people, mm. which is to say we, we lost different relationships. Yeah. You know, and so did you and your brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it really affected my brother very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know that it's fair to say that you're losing your dad didn't affect you deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that seems like a, a trite and petty kind of shallow observation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is just, when I say deeply, I think more, I think it's more troubling for him. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like that, that maybe that's why I say deeply is, is like, for me, I don't really feel a troubling about it. Well, maybe that's what I'm trying to say too, is mm -hmm. like, it doesn't seem fair to me or, or right or proper to imagine that depth mm -hmm. and troublesome are in any way equivalent. Totally. That makes sense. Or, or even are correlated. I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to put on it. It's like, <clears throat> I probably need a lot of leeway in this. Uh, I would say like, uh, there's a part where, you know, I, I don't know how to do this because there's a, there's a, there's a part in this that's healthy and good and part of mourning and that you become disoriented. And I think that's a part of the mourning process that people go through and that's good and healthy. And then there's this other part where it can kind of, you can spin out, you know, a little bit. And, and that's, that's the very subjective and, and type of thing. But <clears throat> well, it just seems strange to me that we would judge the depth of a person's feeling by how troubled they are or how disoriented they are. Well, no, I think, I think that the semantics are getting, are getting kind of messed up here because okay. I think I'm trying to like, cause like I'm, I'm trying to like make a distinction between like, like good, healthy morning mm. and there's not a time. Is frame. there such a thing? There is such a thing because I mean, you know, when it's not a thing, not the right thing, it's mm. hard to maybe say what it is, but you know what it's not. You know, because like there's a, there's a part where that can like can spin off into like depression or a, a loss, a loss of the will to live, you know, like mm. like that, that starts to move into the unhealthy space and not just like one day or a week or two weeks. I mean, again, you're getting these variables that are really hard, mm -hmm. but, you know, unhealthiness when you see it. Yeah. You know, so so I think that's what you're talking about when you're talking about deep, deep emotional loss or hurt. Mm. It's like. It can look like that, but it's not that. But at some point, it, it can spin out into that, you mm. know, that sort of like mm. depression, unhealthiness, and the loss of the will to live, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. 
I mean, this might be getting too complicated because it's hard because I think they both look the same, but at some point they don't. Yeah. Cause like if someone lost their kid on, you know, that was shot right in front of them, you see them wailing and being insane. You say, no, that's healthy. Mm. That's good. Mm. But if it was like two or three years from now, it was still there. You'd be like, it's like something. It's like something there. The healing hasn't really started. Mm. Hmm. And, and again, I, I'm trying to use a, a long enough time frame that I don't get into the subjectiveness of like, well, some people just need longer to, to and I, I totally get that. But I feel like we all can all agree at some point, some of these things become unhealthy, you know, if not. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to step, step on a landmine anywhere I go on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a sensitive um <laughs> Well, it's a sensitive thing to try to make sense of or to totally. think about because it's hard to blame anyone for the way that they mourn mm-hmm. a loss. Totally. Because it's, it's kind of like what we're trying to get at. It's like, I, I, I don't, and maybe that's why I said, I don't know if there's such a thing as healthy or unhealthy mourning. Um, if I just think about mourning itself, because mourning itself is so ineffable Mm-hmm. It's so you, you don't know what to expect from it. You can't control it. Mm-hmm. So how can I say that, well, this morning is unhealthy and this, this other one isn't, I think it, I have to be more nuanced in my thinking or I'm, I want to be more nuanced in my thinking and say, well, it's ob- like you said, it's obvious when something becomes unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that the morning is unhealthy. I think it's that we have the ability and the proclivity often to take situations and use them as an excuse to do something that we already wanted to do, but oh, we couldn't justify. And this is something like Victor Frankl's quote when he says, uh, in between stimulus and response is a moment where you get to choose how to respond. And in that moment is your freedom. Mm. And we tend to think of freedom as positive. Mm. You're free, right? To do what you want. But there is a horribly ugly underbelly to the idea of freedom. Because maybe what I want is really to fall apart. Mm. Maybe what I want is an excuse to lay down all of my responsibilities. Hmm. Maybe what I want is revenge against myself and against everyone else around me, against being itself for not being the way that I want it to be. And so the morning comes and I think we do have a choice to decide in a sense how to dance with it. Um, I, I will dare to tell you a bit of my own experience with that and a conversation I had with my therapist about it, which was that, you know, I, I certainly have felt at minimum despondency, potentially nihilism and, and potentially a call to unbeing itself mm-hmm. as a response to losing my father. Mm-hmm. And 
my therapist, who's he's very young in in his approach to therapy, describes emotions as sort of different. I found this on the web. Oh, Siri! <laughs> God, you scared the shit out of me. I, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I thought was just happening. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god! <laughs> I'll have to tell you, it did throw me like yeah, out. Like, that like, was wild. <laughs> we were deep. We were deep in it. Uh-huh, yeah, totally. um, <laughs> but emotions are are like different personalities, mm-hmm. and you kind of can't blame them for who they are. Mm. They they are who they are, and what they want is to take front and center of you of your being. Mm. But there is a you that can and should mediate and negotiate oh. with those feelings. Mm-hmm. And so anger comes and it's no good to suppress anger and say, you know, sorry, you don't get to be angry. It's like, no, you're angry. Mm-hmm. And if you bottle that up long enough, that's finally going to break out and destroy everything. Mm. So you've got to give your emotions the time and the light of day, but um, you also have to choose when that is. Like you choose how to, how that is healthy. Um, and I think in a sense, I have felt very deeply in certain moments and in, in probably very, very dark moments, uh, uh, a battle between some part of me that just wants to die, just mm. to give up, just to life isn't worth living. Um, and some other part of me that thinks, I want to live because my father lived. I want to live because some part of him still lives in me. And that I want to celebrate that. And I want to propagate that. And I want to tell people about that. And I want to be who I am because I came from him. Mm. And so you, you have these two battling emotions and one is saying die and the other is saying live. Mm. And I have to choose (laughs) and both have to have their time in the light. Both have to have their, their say, but ultimately I have to choose which direction we're going. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a really tough thing to do because, you know, sometimes we need excuses because we don't understand what's happening. It's like, fuck, I just, I need, I, I need to leave this social dinner situation because I cannot handle it. And I don't know how else to get out of here than to make some excuse, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's like a really trivial example, but sometimes we need excuses to just say, I, I gotta go. I don't feel good. Whatever. Gotta get out of here. Um, and other times we need to not make excuses and say, there's an, there's an actual, uh, (laughs) I, I would say almost divine battle happening in which one part of me is saying, I'm oversimplifying this, but one part of me is saying die. And another part of of me is saying live, okay, I got to choose. And maybe there's some solace in the idea of choosing death, whether that's physical or psychological or relational, whatever it is. Um, That's a pretty big thing to choose because if you do, you don't get to have the conversation anymore. Mm. So maybe you say, Hey, I hear you. I get you. Let's talk more about this later Mm. for now. We're going to, we're going to table it, Yeah, you know, 
I love that. It's such a, like a, a, a clear picture for me. Like there's a part, I think it's in all of us, but there's a part in us that yearns for death. And I think that scares us too. Hmm. And I think that's also, if we don't pay attention to that part that yearns for death, I think can, it can, it can move into an unhealthy place. Like, because there's something about, there's a, there's a, there's a piece in that and it's in its healthy, good timing, you know, that like my time is, my time has come and it is served and I accept you. Mm. And so I think there's a, there's a, there's a part of us that if it comes up too soon, it can be not okay. It's like, but it's more like telling it its place, you know, like, Hey, <clears throat> my, the, the Michael and me that yearns for death, it's not your time. You know, like mm. there's a time to accept that and, and, and desire that, but that's at the time when you're finished, you know? Mm. And I think that's the part that I get goosebumps just thinking of that because it's like, it's almost like patting him on the leg and saying, no, your, your, your desire is good. Mm. Just not for right now. You know, it's like, I mean, even I, I could even see this in times of heroicness, you know, it's like, I'm going to put my life on the line to save somebody or to go into this burden burning building. You know, it's like, it's a disregard for your life. And it's like, it's not the same as that yearning for death, you know, but it's like, a, it's kind of a close cousin to it, you know? And it's uh, maybe not. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting a bit hung up on the idea of yearning for death. I, I, oh. I kind of want to argue with that. Okay, go for it. I, I, I think I see the glimmer of recognition in the sentiment, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I could attack that directly. But I, I think maybe it, whatever it is that might be true about that, mm-hmm. there's another side of that which which is sometimes you might yearn for death, which is maybe to say to yearn for release or to Mm. relief or to rest to finality of some kind. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing when death starts yearning for you. Oh, that's interesting. And I think that is very well documented in mythology and in, Mm -hmm. in in archetypal ways. It's the idea of the siren. The siren is yearning for you. It is calling to you, lulling you, and it is going to kill you. That's that's a really great. And what? Who is it? Uh, Odysseus uh-huh. has his men tie him up mm-hmm. to the mast of the ship so that he doesn't go Total. to the call. Uh huh. You know. Yeah, it's like again an untimely death. It's like it's like there's like it's ex- external. That's fascinating. Oh, dude, you just like gave me like <laughs> so much to go on. There. I don't know how to think about this. I don't either. Like a, but yeah, but the, uh, I mean, honestly, it's almost like it, it, you can almost phrase this in religious language. It's almost like in the way that you were saying, it's almost demonic. It's calling from outside of you. A hundred percent it is. You know? Yeah. Which is almost like it's, it's telling you like, there's also that other voice too. Like it's again, these, it's interesting because these are almost external or it's like, it's telling you you're unworthy. You're, you know, it's like, it's, I think that's why we, we call such things as demonic is because it's, 
It's not coming from within you because there's a, there's again, there's a part of you that's like, no, I'm not worthy, you know, but it's, but there's something about, there's an honesty and humility that you're addressing something with, but when it's coming from on out from without, it's a con- condemnation, you know, it's saying it's, it's just, it's saying like almost your whole being, your whole, you, there's nothing of you that is redeemable, you know, it's like your life and life in totality is not <clears throat> worth living, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a part of us that I think is, that does, that does long for that final breath, you know, mm. but it's not, it's not in an unhealthy way. It's in a healthy way of like, at some point in this world, I will pass on. And I think we've captured this in religions, you know, throughout the millennia and how to like, how to sort of like guide that natural inclination mm-hmm. to the next, you know, I guess I would ask the question, like, is it good to die? And mm. the answer to that is somewhat obviously no, but it is also obviously good to die. Well, mm. I mean, death is inevitable. Yeah. So it's, it, it almost seems like a trivial thing to ask whether it's good to die because mm-hmm. it's going to happen regardless of what you think of it. Mm-hmm. But it is good to die well, mm. and it is not good to not die well. Mm. It is not good to die at the hands of demons, mm-hmm. whether that's your own internal demons or external demons mm-hmm. or the siren or just misfortune, mm-hmm. you know, I think to the extent that we long to die, it's that we long to die. Well, we long to leave the world well. Mm-hmm. And that is to say that the world is well for our having being, having been there and that we are well when we die and that we have not succumbed to the things that, seek to tear us down Mm -hmm. because we do that all the time. You know, I think we all have probably (laughs) very foggy and unarticulated ideas of things that we really hope to sort out before we die. Mm -hmm. And they're probably foggy and unarticulated because that's really hard to do. And if we actually articulated them, then we would know how to deal with them. And they're so big and complex and scary. It's like, we don't really know, want to know how to deal with them. It's like, we don't want to have to know how to deal with dragons. We'd rather imagine they don't exist. Hmm. But I think that if we imagine dying well, we imagine having slain all of our dragons, Hmm. which means that we have gone and met them, seen them, articulated them, taken note of their size and shape and then taken them down mm-hmm. or die in the, in the, or die in the trying, in the trying. Yeah. I mean, that's an honorable death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's like, it's it, what we're talking about is like super, super abstract, but I feel like the, you can't really, you can't really get at these things without abstraction because it's really difficult to, to talk about, you know, and I think that's why, like, it's so useful to use, like, 
that imagery of like demons, you know, as far as like something outside of yourself tempting you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also just that this, there's this also this internal struggle that we have with ourselves and trying to understand, you know, and peace out, peace, uh, um, extrapolate out like the, the reality is of like, I'm going to die. Well, how am I going to die? You know? Hmm. Well, that's interesting because you, as you just said that, I think what you meant by that is not what are the specifics of the way that I'm going to die? Mm -hmm. It was more, how am I going to die from a position of honor, Mm. like a position, which is, is more in the realm of symbology. Yeah. Which I think I've, I've been struggling recently with that word abstraction because I think the idea of the word as I have taken it growing up has always been something like to simplify and summarize. Hmm. Okay. And I think the way that we're talking about it now isn't that Mm -hmm. it's, it's more like how do you symbolize something And the, Mm -hmm. in, in symbols are important because they exist even if you can't describe them, Mm -hmm. you know, a symbol whether it's uh, the Mother Mary or Jesus Christ or a totem pole, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you have to say about it. Doesn't matter what you can see or understand about it. It exists, mm-hmm. and you can write countless books of countless words about symbols. Mm-hmm. There's no simplification and summarization there. Yeah, you know. So how are you going to die? I think we care ultimately very much less about the specifics of that than we do about the symbology of it. Hmm. (laughs) Like Braveheart came to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's funny is like, is like when you, you see, and I think that's why I love, movies and books and it takes you through like, like Madeline Engels talks about this, like how literature like allows you to kind of walk in the shoes of other people. Mm-hmm. She says a lot more eloquently this, but, and without having to actually go through it. And so you can read Dostoevsky and, and walk through something and be like, Oh, that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Or, Oh, that feels good. That hurts actually. You know, and you can kind of like experiencing something without actually having to walk through it. And I think that's something that's really important for us to have a lot of different experiences so that we can try something without walking into it, without having to do it ourselves. Um, I think that's why reading like Viktor Frankl and Dostoevsky is like, it gets you in touch with some parts of you that are a little bit darker and a little bit more confusing. Like, like death, like it's, it's like, it's, it's a confusing thing. Like, what is that? It's easier to ignore, especially when you're youth, it's easier to ignore. But as you get older, it's like, that's something that you start to encounter more and more. And, and I think that's a part of like, you know, the, the midlife crisis, you're getting closer to death than you are from your birth, you know, you know, maybe average years of life or whatever. And you have to start to encounter it and you can either run from that or you can embrace it. And I think through literature and music and art, it allows you to sort of like encounter that symbolism 
and process it in a way that's a little bit more, sorry, abstract, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I'm it, not saying we should stop using yeah, that word. I know, I know. <laughs> well, who is it that said, um, every man has two lives. The second begins when he realizes he's going to die. Something like that. Mm, mm. Yeah. I don't remember. I've definitely felt that to be true. Like this year, probably on the heels of my dad passing away and me being of, of the you know right midlife crisis age of forty one, mm-hmm. I've I've it has become real to me that I'm going to die. Yeah, and the the follow on question to that realization and realization isn't it's not the right word because it's not that. It's not like I didn't know that before. Yeah. It's like, I just, now I'm certain of it. I see it. Yeah. There's an intimacy that you have. Mm, with it. Intimacy. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So the follow on question is if, if, if I'm intimate with that reality, hmm. then how do I now spend my time? Which, which uh, when you're saying that too, is like, it's almost, it's, it's like, as we encounter that in a more in depth way, and hopefully you encounter in stages, you know, because I think there's a, I just, I hope that for us, you know, <laughs> because like, as you encounter that in stages, it's, it's sort of like you, you, you become, have a familiarity with it, you know, that you can approach it in a way that's, um, that's, and then you'll have occasion like where, where those, where that sort of like will jump on you and sort of like encase you a little bit, you know, as far as like the idea of death and mm-hmm. what does that mean? It's yeah. like, it's a really, it's a really powerful, um, symbol or that can kind of that can kind of envelop you and you can't see anything outside of that it's like well why you know mm-hmm. but it's it's just something about i think something about encountering that that helps us to really almost to live more deeply yes i yeah i absolutely think so mm-hmm. because you don't really consider deeply or intimately the question of how do i want to live mm until you realize that your time is limited. Mm. You know, if you're, it's like, what was that? Um, it was a movie with Will Smith and Charlize Theron when they, they were immortal gods living on this world uh-huh. and they'd been around for thousands of years. Yeah. And basically like he was a drunk degenerate and you know, she was kind of like a, I don't know what she was, but uh-huh. they were the worst versions of themselves Yeah, because why wouldn't you be uh-huh. if you weren't limited? Yeah. And so I think once you are intimately aware of that limitation, then you say, okay, and I don't know what's going to happen. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, what do I want to do? I should actually like, yeah. I should, I should have answers to that question because mm. I'm here. I'm here now and I might not be here in the next now. So what do I want to do with this now? And how do I want to die? What do I want to leave? And, and that isn't to say anything about legacy. Exactly. It's to say, what is the world that I would be happy to leave behind? Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with me exactly, but it's like, I have some force to exert on that potential. Mm. And hmm, I actually, I, I, I'll, I'll read you some answer I had to that. Okay. 
this was um, two weeks ago. Just a little journal entry that I titled, I am going to die. I don't want to spend the rest of my time as a miserable, anxious, ruminating man, afraid of more and more and the creep of trouble and betrayal and loss. I want to do what I said I'd do. I want to be thankful with my life and my time and my taste and my smell and my fingers and toes. I want to feel the pleasure in getting to be alive amidst the trouble, the body odor, the soap, the warm water, and the cold rinse. I'm going to die. Until then... I want to live. Hmm. And it's like, I don't know what any of that means. It's, none of that's actionable. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's more like, I want to be aware of this life that I'm living. Yeah. There's a lot to focus on that I could focus on. I want to be aware of that. It just even just that that I can wake up every morning and say, there are an infinite number of things that I could look at today. I'm in, I'm a kid in a candy store mm. that I can't even measure. Okay. So what do you want to look at? Yeah. What do you want to focus on? What do you want to do? <laughs> totally. Choice is yours. That's, I mean, it's really a wonderful thing. It's a, I think once you see it, it's a wonderful blessing. Mm. But it's interesting, like, I think death is the one thing that can bring you to that space more intimately, you know, like as you go through life and experience that the passing on of things, like if you don't understand the passing on of things, I think it's really hard to appreciate the here and now and, and what you have. You know, I think of like, you know, even like Siddhartha, you know, he lives in this, this palace where there's no young people. I mean, the old people and, you know, he sees an old person for the first time and it kind of like, whoa, like, mm. what is this? And something about that jars him into sort of like going off on a journey, you know, and, 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 and trying to understand like, like, what is that sort of like? passage of time you know where he was all before that he was just surrounded by young people and and only good things and it's like if we think if we just surround ourselves with only good things that that's what happiness is but happiness is also being in the midst of suffering and hardship and being in in, in t t with other people intimately in their own suffering mm -hmm. which i think is really difficult because sometimes that makes us have to look inside and, and examine ourselves, you know, and, um, and that can be hard and because it's a lot of times it's like, you're not going to see things you like <laughs> or th things that you, you're going to see things that you don't like, you yeah. know, and that you have to encounter those things. I think as the older you get to those, that it becomes harder and harder to ignore those things that either need to change or you need to come to terms with, you know, as far as like, like whether it be the ultimate part of death, you know, or, you know, Hey, like I really need to, I really want to be involved with people's lives more and have a, have a, 
oh shit, I was going to say positive impact on people, but like, like experiencing intimacy with other people. God, I don't know. How, I actually, I don't know how to, how to go there. It's so hard for me because, like, I think you and you and Allison are like the, my my closest friends. So, <laughs> so I think of like like I I try to I try to be really open, and I, I love again these aren't the right words, but like how deeply you guys feel, and for some reason I feel like you guys are always really grounding, uh, grounding for me because I, I I get to, I feel like I experience something through y'all that is. that there's like a like a marrow of life kind of aspect to it does that make sense that's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah yeah i mean when you were saying <clears throat> you want to have a positive impact on people and then you caught yourself and you're like that wasn't exactly it's not exactly it mm-hmm. my thought was yeah, it's more like hey i'm here and alive and you're here and alive and that's pretty cool Mm. And rather than just stay in our rooms, maybe we should go out into the living room and just like fucking see what happens. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not about positivity mm-hmm. or negativity. It's just about, well, when we get together, something interesting happens. Mm. And sometimes it's trouble and sometimes it's comfort and sometimes it's illuminating and sometimes it's boring and mm. it's all kinds. It's, it's, well, it's the totality of human experience. It happens when we're with people. Yeah. So, hey, we're here. And I, I think in generally we're most, we're, we are most affected by people like that. It's like the stranger that you interact with at some point in your day and they actually look you in the eye hmm. and there's no, they're not looking with some kind of expectation or some agenda of something that they want to do. They're just actually curious. Like, hmm. who are you in this moment? Wow. Like. Hadn't seen you before. This that that's where all of the marrow is, mm-hmm. to use your your word. Yeah. God, it's a, it's so interesting to see. Like I can just I, as you're saying this, I can just see all these places where I sometimes run from that. You know, like even just totally. like two nights ago, I was sitting down and having a conversation with my oldest, and yeah, we were just having a great talk and something like that. And I was like, well, I think I'm gonna go read, and I was just like wait a minute, I'm kind of like walking away from this intimacy of this moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, damn it. Why do I do that? You know? Yeah. Well, the reasons for that are myriad. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty of times where I think, you know, I, I could sit here at my desk alone and do what I do at my desk alone at night, which is, read or write or mm-hmm. scroll on my phone or whatever. And, um, you know, or I could call you guys or any number of other friends and say, Hey, should we grab a drink or build a fire or do something? And mm-hmm. sometimes I do. And sometimes I turn away from that Yeah, because <clears throat> sometimes it's scary. It's, it's, it feels like too much. It's like, I don't have it in me to confront the totality of wonderful and horrifying being that I know that I will confront in my friends who are willing to have that kind of experience, you know? Yeah. 
It's so wild. And other times it's just good to sit down with your pen and paper yeah. and a book and right. ignore all the world around you. Mm. You know, it's like, it's, it's so crazy. Like how many, there's just not a, there's not a formula to it. It's, it's, it's something right. that. It's like, you almost really only know the right answer in hindsight. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's kind of brilliant. It's yeah. kind of beautiful because it means that what's good is often unexpected. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome because if it was expected, well, then you're smart enough to know what it is. And then it's boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, totally. I'd, r- I'd much rather be confronted with the unexpected and be surprised and delighted than to design all of my experiences mm-hmm. and ultimately be bored by the limits of my imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of fit more in that category. Like I have, a, I have a very structured way of doing things mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I have to be very careful about, about that. Like not. Yeah. I kind of ran, ran well, all been going place. for a while. Yeah. We? <laughs> yeah. What are we? I don't know. Yeah. Well, <sighs> say goodnight. Yeah. Episode one back in the home studio. Back in the home studio, which actually feels really good. It does feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry you guys can't see our, our faces when we say, you know, <laughs> thanks for coming. I'm sure they're really bummed about uh, that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we are pretty good looking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to bring the video back. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming out, guys. Thanks, y'all. Definitely. Love you out there. Bye.